0: Okay, so welcome back, everyone. Um, This is going to be the first class. We're actually talking about poker strategy. uh, So this should be pretty exciting. So the first thing we're going to learn about is position. And this is only three sides long. So positions have different names. They're put into different groups. And a lot of how we describe what's going on in a particular hand is going to be relevant to where people are sitting. Why? Because people in late position get to act after people in early position. And in general, the positions are broken into uh, four different groups. There are the blinds, who pay the blinds, and are first to act on every street after preflop. There's early position, middle position, and late position, where all these positions have have names except middle position, where um, starting in the big blind, we call it under the gun, under the gun plus one, under the gun plus two. You could also describe these as um, seat one, two, three, four, all the way to nine or 10, um, although I don't really like that because I think it's, they all have pretty unique names, and they're descriptive enough to just use those. Um, so middle position is labeled 1, 2, and 3. And then around the button, you describe uh, their relation to the button, where either you are the button or you are cutting off the button. And then some people get a little crazy by calling this like the hijack, and, uh, but I, I tend to not do that. And then as we eliminate people, we get rid of the least interesting positions um, to only keep the ones with real names. Okay, so the reason that I'm telling you this now is we're going to be going through hands where I talk about players by their position. Like, the per, the individual person doesn't matter, but it's much easier to understand what's going on when I refer to them as the cutoff or, or the button or whatever. But in general, the later position is better because you get more information. Like, you get to see people acting before you. And as a result, you... Like, the... The money flows in, in general to the late positions. Like you, you're the, the round that you're the hand that you're the button, you're going to make the most amount of money. And you can see that in Poker Tracker. And if you're losing money on the button, you should seriously reevaluate how you're playing that because that's when you make the most amount of money. The blinds are in an interesting situation because they get to see the flop for a discount because they're compelled to, play, to pay um, some sort of bet. So you might think the blinds are in a good position because they get a free flop, but they're actually in a terrible position because when position matters post-flop, they are the first to act in every single situation. So even though you might think that you're getting a discount for being in the blinds, you're getting a discount, an entry, into a hand where you're almost certainly going to be at a major informational disadvantage. Um, However, interestingly, in short stack situations, early position is actually better. Because you have the opportunity to, um, to go all in before the other person does. And you maintain, um, you maintain the, the equity from aggression, the fold equity, which we'll talk about later. It's sort of like a game of chicken. Where the so chicken is a game where two people drive at each other until one person turns. Where it's like a, a, an infinitely bad return if they both don't turn. And then like one wins if one turns and one doesn't. So the proper strategy in chicken is to throw your uh, steering wheel out the window so the other person knows he only has one option if he doesn't want an infinitely big loss. So with position, it works very similar to that, where if you're in a tournament where neither person wants to see a showdown, like neither person wants to um, deal with a coin flip for their tournament life, if you're an early position, you have the opportunity to be the aggressor and go all in. So you get to discourage the other person from entering into it. So let's move on to some basic concepts. So a lot of these things are, are based on odds. So poker is a statistical game. And we're going to be talking about um, applications of math to poker. So why does, So why does drawing matter? So drawing, drawing means you're trying to make a hand, like uh, more cards that will come out will give you a really good hand, whereas you don't necessarily have a good hand right now. And a really common situation, there's one guy that has an OK hand, and there's one guy that has nothing but the potential to have a really good hand. And a lot of, like most of the decision points come down to whether the, the guy with nothing has equity, like has an interest in making his real hand. Um, so exam- really common examples of these are one person has a pair or two pair, and one guy has a straight or flush draw. Someone, if we're talking preflop, someone has a pocket pair, and someone else has literally anything else, and they're trying to make anything more than whatever that guy's pair is. Um, so what the drawer has to do, the guy without a real hand, is to decide whether the bet he is facing or whatever he has to pay to see more cards to find out if he makes his hand is worth the, the cost, is worth, is worth what the, the aggressor is making him pay to see that additional card. And the per- person who has a hand already wants to, make it so that the drawer cannot see his card for a positive equity. He wants to bet so much that a call is bad because that's where his equity comes from. So he can either bet enough so that he folds, the other guy folds, or bet enough that he'll call and make a huge mistake. Like both are equally good. Yeah. Actually, the second one is probably better. So I'm saying a drawer is someone who has a flush draw or a straight draw, or basically has no real hand at showdown, but has a reasonable chance of, as more cards come out, making a, a monster hand, like making a hand which will almost certainly win at showdown. Okay, so, so let's go through a, a scenario. Okay, so this seemed pretty straightforward. There was some sort of bet preflop I called. And it was heads up. It came with four to a flush, four hearts. And this guy bet into me. And the question is, what do we do? That's a big question. And I'm going to be using this format a lot because it's easier to, at least for me, it's easier to see. And then hopefully it's um, something you guys will pick up on. I'm only going to include relevant information. And the cases are going to be written in this format, where we have the relevant stacks up here. Here are the blinds. This means that small blind is 20, big blind is 40, and there's a 10 ante. This is a pot before anyone does anything. This is a pot as of the flop. These are my cards, the hero is whoever we care about. The villain is the other guy. Um, And this just shows the order of what happens. So here, he raises to 120 pre-flop, three big blinds, I call. The flop comes, eight of hearts, three of hearts, something that doesn't matter. He bets 370, all in. Okay. So my decision is what do I need, like what can I do here? And this is a really common scenario. And what we can do is develop the tools that we need to make this um, to figure out what we want to do here. And rather than should we call, we can come up with a much more resilient answer. Like what's the biggest bet that we can call? And we're going to end up with a solution set of this, of this area here. That's what we want to figure out. But first, we need to develop something called expected value. Um, So expected value is the same in poker as it is in math. It's just a probability weighted average of all possible results. So it's win percentage times win amount minus lose percentage times lose amount. Um, So in our scenario, we're going to add some variables into it. We're facing a bet into a pot of 380. Our, win, our EV is going to be the whatever chance we have to win uh, times the pot of 380 plus whatever the bet is, x, minus our lose percentage, which is 1 minus win percentage, times that same variable, x. And our like threshold for call is when EV equals 0. So. Um, pot odds is generally what we call the relationship between the size of the bet you're facing and the pot that you would win if you call that bet and then win the hand. So a, this is going to be the equation. So it's plus EV. It's positive expectation if the chance you have of winning is greater than the call amount divided by the size of the pot after the call. Okay, so say that we were seeing a bet of 100. We were seeing a bet a little bit bigger than that. But just for example purposes, we'll use 100. So your pot odds would be 100 divided by 580, where 580 is whatever was in the pot before, plus his bet, plus your call. Like, you will win 580 if you win this hand. So your call is contributing 17% of the pot. Um, and just so you guys know, people use pot odds in a different way. They talk about like um, like 1 to 4 and use a different notation for referring to your chance of winning. I always thought this was very intuitive. So that's what I'm going to be teaching you guys. It's a percentage of the pot that you can contribute. Um, so if your win percentage is more than 17%, this is a plus CV call. And this should be fairly easy to, um, to wrap your head around. And your win percentage can just be calculated based on what cards will make you win divided by what cards are left in the deck? And those are called outs. Like cards that result in a win, a win for you based on your best estimate are called an out. So when you're going for a flush, so there are 13 hearts. You already know about four of them. They're either in your hand or on the board. There are nine hearts left that you could hit to, to make your flush and presumably win. So your win percentage, this is calculating it out exactly, is just... 1 minus your chance of hitting the flush on neither one of those cards. So it's 40 out of 49 times 39 out of 48, which is about equal to 34%. So since this 34%, our chance of winning is more than 70% the proportion of the call that we're contributing. This makes it a good call. And the fact that this is really big compared to this makes it a really good call. So this is how I think of it in terms of visualizing it. So this whole, this whole pie is the $580 pot um, that it will be if you called. This chunk is your 34% pot odds. Now this, this chunk can be comprised of the size of the bet you're calling and your expected value from calling. So here, the size of the chunk is $197, which is 34% of 580. We can contribute up to that amount. If we get to contribute less of it, that means that any additional chunk is EV. Like we are making $97 for making this call. Um, Similarly, if we make a call that's too big, we end up with a negative chunk of that pie. So I'm teaching you a quick rule for calculating your chance of winning any hand. Um, And the quick rule I'm going to use is by uh, Phil Gordon. So let's talk about Phil Gordon. So Phil Gordon got, he seems like an okay guy. He got fourth place in the main event. He won a world poker tour. He won two bridge championships. He's the head referee of the World Series of Rock, Paper, Scissors. These guys get into really interesting things when they're not playing poker. And he's the author of Phil Gordon's Little Green Book. So Phil Gordon uh, invented this thing which caught on, called Gordon's Rule of Two and Four, which basically just says each of your outs is worth... 2% 2% for each additional card you get to see for that size of the bet. And it should be fairly obvious where 2% comes from. It's just 1 divided by 50. And it's a rough estimate of what, one, uh, what each out is worth over 49 or 48 or however many cards are left. If you get to see both the turn and the river, you use 4%. And that's the whole rule. Uh, it was, I'm sure someone figured it out before, but he was nice enough to coin it and write it in his book, which is why I'm giving him credit for it. Um, So some examples of these are if you have a low pair and you're trying to get three of a kind by the turn or the river, you have two outs. And if you're trying to figure out your chance of making that three of a kind on the turn, you do two outs times 2% for a total of 4% to make your hand. Simple enough. Other common examples are flush draw, which should be nine outs to give you odds of nine divided by 47, or about 18%. And inside straight draw is four outs to give you odds of four out of 47, or 8%. And you can see this is the exact calculation, but it's really very close to just multiplying by two. So back to pot odds. Um, your break even is when EV is zero. That's a common theme that we're going to be uh, talking about. So the bet is x into a pot of 380. Your chance of hitting the flush is nine times 4%, or 36%-ish. We're assuming that we get to see both cards. Why do I think we're going to get to see both cards? Because he's all in and he can't bet anymore. So our win percentage is 36%. Our exact win rate is 34%, showing that this is pretty close. Like, we didn't actually need to do any any heavy math to get a good ballpark number. So the question here is we're facing bet of 370. The um, pot before we face that bet is 380. And the question is, should we call? Um, because you're not gonna—you can solve the threshold conceptually um, just to get a resilient solution set, especially when you're doing things um, before, or after the fact. But in real time, um, we're going to want a rule for how to figure this out. So let's talk through this one, and then we'll go through a solution on the next slide. Um, so we have to figure out whether to call this. So how many? So what are we drawing to? Yeah. So we're drawing to a flush. So how many cards will result in a flush here? Nine, right. So there are nine remaining hearts in the deck. And then we get to see one or two cards. Yep, I agree. So we get to see two cards because he's all in. So our chance of winning is 4% times 9. So 9, 18, 36%. So we can call up to 36%. We can contribute up to 36% of the final pot. So where can we would contribute 370 into the final pot of two times this plus one times this. And just offhand, you can calculate, you can figure out that's around one third because the pot is about equal to the size of his bet. So we're contributing a little bit less than 33%. So we know that this is going to be a good call. And that's how you would do this in real time. You would say, you're 36% to win. You're contributing 33% of the pot. So you decide to call. And that's how you would, that's how you would make this decision. Um, so let's do a couple more examples. Well, these are all different situations where this type of thing might come up. So here's a situation where we have um, asymmetrical stacks, although the blinds are the same. Um, so we have six, seven of diamonds. I'm using the four-color deck just to make it easier to see. Um, something happens pre-flop that doesn't really matter. On the flop, um, there's $320 in the pot. He bets 150 So what do we do here? So what are we drawing to? We're drawing to a straight. So how many, how many, how many outs do we have? How many cards will hit that straight? 8, yeah. So we got um, four nines and then four fours. We'll make us hit that straight. Um, So eight outs total. So what's our chance of winning this hand based on what we're calling here? Yeah, 8, 16, 32. Yep, I agree with that. Um, So based on that, um, what do we have to contribute to um, stay in this hand? Like what percentage of the future pot? Yeah, something less than a third. Because if he bet exactly 320, that would be a third. So we know this is way less than a third. And since we're 32% to win, this is probably going to be a good call. So going through the questions, so we have an open-ended straight draw, meaning we have eight outs because two different cards would result in the straight. Um, our outs are any 9 and any 4 We have a 32% chance of hitting it. And what's the correct play? Call. because. One hundred fifty out of six twenty where six twenty is the pot plus three hundred is twenty four percent okay, so that wasn 't bad so that's our, those are two common draws one was a flush draw and one was a straight draw so let 's go to something uh, a little bit different. so we have five five on the button, he raises into us, I call, and the flop comes three clubs, five ace, six. he bets two hundred okay, cool, so this is um. This is a situation which uh, I'm sure a lot of you may have run into recently. Uh, so what? So what hand are we drawing to here? So what? Like what? Why do we think we're behind if we have three fives here? Yeah, yeah. like he might have a flush. Um, certainly to the point where I'm not super comfortable with the set here, knowing that like it's reasonably likely for someone to have a flush here. Or like even if he doesn't have a flush and we bet, he's only going to call us really if he has a flush or a better hand. Um, so he has a flush, and then what are we drawing to? Like what beats a flush here? Full house, Full house good. What else? Four uh, of a kind. Yep, four of a kind. Okay, so what are our outs here? Yep, I agree. Seven outs. What are they? Yep. So three aces, three sixes. 1-5. So we have seven outs total. All right, so what's our chance of hitting? Do we count one or two cards here? One. Why? Because he has a lot of chips behind. And there's no way, if he's betting this on the flop, he's giving us a free card on the turn. Unless, for some reason, he thinks we have a flush. But we certainly can't count on that. OK, so we can, what do we say? Seven outs. So we use 2% for the next card, or 14%. So we can call up to fourteen percent of the future pot. The future pot's going to be 21, 2300. So we can call fourteen percent of that. So what's a good estimate of that? Like, it's going to be more than like two eighty because fourteen percent of two thousand is is uh, is two eighty, right? So he's betting materially less than that. Like he's way under betting whatever he has here. If he has. If he has a flush, he's not protecting it. If he doesn't have a flush, like he's losing. Um, so this is a very common example of a villain not protecting his hand. Like he's probably This is a situation where I see a lot of newer players um, screw up. They're, not, they're betting so little, like they're betting little because they don't want the other guy to fold, but they're actually losing value because the other guy folding here would be preferable. They should bet enough that he either folds or he makes the wrong decision if he calls. So, we're drawing to a full house or four of a kind, which you guys got right. Our outs are three aces, three sixes, and one five for seven cards total. Our chance of hitting the draw is 14%. So, the correct play is. Yep, correct play is call because he's only asking us for 9% to contribute 9% of that pot. Since we're 14% to win, like the chunk in that pie is bigger than the 9% chunk that we have to contribute. And the result is this $122 free that he's giving us. OK, so I think this is my last example. This one should be a little bit more fun. So this is it. So why is this a draw that we're looking at? Like, we're the first one to act. Why does this matter? Can anyone tell what's going on here? Yeah, so the villain here is all in blind with that 200, because that's the big blind. So by calling here, or by doing anything, we're going, like he is going all in. So really, it's like he acted before us, and now we're deciding whether we want to act. So what are we drawing to here? Well, OK, so what are, what are we facing? What does he have in terms of a range? Any two cards? And then, so what are we drawing to? In general, we're drawing to basically anything. Like We're hoping that we win some amount of the time. And what percentage do we have to win? Okay, what first, let's start with like, what's a reasonable estimate for the amount we could win? The percentage of the time. So like what what are some um, hand versus hand percentages that you know? Like, okay, so what's like what's aces versus anything? Yeah, it's like eighty or eighty five percent. And then if he doesn't have a pocket pair higher than both of our cards, like you're generally, like even if you're dominated, you're like 70-30. And then the majority of random versus random is like between 60-40 in either direction. Um, so say that what percentage of the time do we have to win here for this to be a good call? So wh- what's the size of the bet that we're facing here if we're the small blind? 100, right? Right. So we're contributing 100 here to win a pot of 400, which is going to be the one like one big blind from each of us. So if we're more than 25% to win here, like this is a plus EV call. And I see a lot of people screw this up for some reason. But you're virtually always ahead of 25% here. So what we're drawing to here is anything. And our chance of hitting the draw is... We're actually about forty percent versus his range, and even three, to, like the worst heads-up hand versus any two cards is thirty-two percent. So we're really calling blind there, like we are. We are always ahead of his range. So the correct play is certainly going to be to call, and the EV is like sixty. So if we fold this, it's worth about sixty chips. Um, so let's talk about implied odds. So the, um, the solution to an implied odds question is the number of chips that we have to win after hitting our draw. So um, I'm using that specific language because like, for pot odds, the solution is like whether or not you can call or what's the maximum bet you can call. For implied odds, it's different. It's the number of chips you have to win later to make the call good. It's the amount of basically dead money you need to add to the pot after the fact. Um, So the way that we do that is we take a look at our percentage chance of winning, say it's 20%, and then we figure out what size would the pot have to be to make the bet we are currently facing be 20% of that pot. So here's an example, and we're using easier numbers here because we're dividing by percentages. Um, So say we have a flush draw and we're 18% to hit. Um, If the pot is 300 and we have a bet of 180 into us, Um, our call is going to be 27% of the pot. So if we had a 27% chance of winning, that would be a break-even call, but we don't. We have an 18% chance of winning. So by pot odds, it says don't call. But to figure out what the amount is that we we want the pot to be, we just divide that 180 by the 18% of our odds to get this 1,000 number. So if the pot were 1,000, we could make that call. So the um, the solution here is this 340 difference, which is the real, the actual pot after we call. Um, the difference between that and the pot that we need to make this call neutral. That's where this this, this 340 comes from, and it's gonna. It has to be in, in dead money. It has to be money that's added to the pot after we already hit our um, flush. So to visualize it. Um, So we need that bet of 180, from the example I just gave, to be 18% of the pot. That's what makes it a good bet. Um, As of the time that we make the decision, our bet here represents 27% of that pot. However, if we can increase a pot by 340, that bet would be 18% of that new pot. So that gives us the, the right implied odds to make this call. And what we need to figure out is whether this 340 number is realistic, the difference between this 1,000 and that 660. So are are we following that? Is that making it easier to understand um, what we're trying to figure out when we do an applied odds question? OK, cool. So I think I have two or three examples here um, just to to walk through that idea. Um, so, So here's a hand. OK, so, so here's a decision we're facing. Um, and we need to figure out whether this is a, a good call. So we have plenty of chips behind. We, we, have, we all started with 1,000. And then like, we're probably not winning this hand because we have middle pair. OK, so we're drawing to two pair or three of a kind. Our outs are these, which are five outs total, which gives us a chance of hitting our draw of what? So do we get to see one or two cards? Uh, right, we get to do one card because presumably he 's going to bet again, so we multiply by two percent to get a ten percent chance of hitting the draw, and then let 's go back to the um, to this so what does a pot have to be to make this bet ten percent of the future pot It needs to be well, it needs to be a thousand because we 're contributing one hundred of some pot that we have ten percent equity in, so it needs to be a thousand, which means how much additional money do we need to add? after we call that so it's going to be so after this call it's going to be 100, 475, 575 because we're like we're calling 100 so that's going to be in the pot too and then we it's the delta between that and 1000 that we care about so it's going to be uh, 1000 minus 575 we need to we need to draw 425 in addition at the end so we have a 10% chance of hitting our odds are 16%, meaning we can't call it there. However, if we can pull out um, that 100 bet divided by the 10% odds that we need, it creates a $1,000 pot with a difference of 575. So we need $425 more on that, uh, after we hit our draw to make that a good call, which in that situation seems reasonable. Like he, so he bet hundred into a pot of, of four hundred. Presumably he'll bet like two hundred or three hundred next hand, and then we can repop him for anything. And if he, even if it's a min bet, which he'll presumably be obligated to call, especially because this is a very, um, like a very hidden draw, um, we'll be able to to make this a good call. So I I think this is reasonably a good call based on uh, I think we could get four or five hundred dollars more at least. So, so let's do another one of these. So I'm going to make these all from the same position and all the pre-flop actions the same, just to make it um, simple to see what's going on. OK, so here, um, let, let's go through the same steps. So what are we drawing to here? Yeah, so several things. So we're we're drawing to a straight. We're drawing to a flush. Are we drawing to anything else? So, okay, I would agree. We're drawing to a royal flush also. And I'm going to say the over pair might not be good. Like, one pair, I, I wouldn't consider a great hand, especially when we're, what, what we're blinds here? Like, 50 to 100. So we have an M of like, what, like 50? Something like that. So I think it's, I, I think our M is, or our, our top pair is not that great here. Um, but I do think the flush is good. Probably, like a king-high flush is good, and then the straight is good too. So, how many outs do we have here? So, how many, like, how many outs to the flush? Nine. Right. So we have yeah nine other clubs in the deck, and then how many outs to the straight? Eight. Right. So we have seventeen outs, and then how many are overlaps? Two. Right. So let me make sure I got that right. So. 9 plus 8, 17 minus 2. Yep, 15. So we have 15 outs here. And then how many cards are we going to see? We're going to see one. The only. I, I really wouldn't estimate that we're going to see two cards unless someone is specifically all in. So use one, um, one card here. So we have. Um, so 15 outs over one card. So what's the percent chance of winning on that next card? 30%. Good. So what? How much? So what would the pot have to be eventually to make this a good call with our 30 percent chance of winning this end? I So it would be So I think it would be 600 divided by 30 percent. Right? So what's that? So 600 divided by 3 over 10? No, I think it's going to be more than that, because we're going to multiply it by 10-thirds. So, it's gonna be 6,000 divided by three, or 2,000. Would you agree with that? So, this pot has to be 2,000 by the end. And then, what is, what's it gonna be when we call here? Yeah, let's see. So, it's gonna be 600, his 600 plus our 600, 1200 plus 275. Yeah, 4, uh, 1475. So, how, mu- how many additional dollars do we need in the pot after hitting one of our draws? Good, right. So, I think that's right. Um, so, drawing to straight or flush. Any ace, any nine, seven other clubs that aren't ace or nine for 15 outs. We are 30% to hit this. Um, So right now the pot odds are 40% because he's betting 600, or we'd be contributing 600 into a total pot of 1475. We need to win an additional 525 after to make this a good call. So that's it. So that's how you do implied odds. Just make sure you understand um, what the future pot has to be, and then you can use your own judgment for whether um, that's a realistic amount to win here. I think, like here, 500 is totally reasonable because he already bets 600. Even if a a flush comes, he's probably um, pretty obligated to make at least another $500 bet or at least a 500 call if he checks. So I think that's good. So I think we have a... OK, to, to make it a little simpler for you guys, I made explicit all of the formulas that we went over for drawing, um, just to help with the case. So our normal EV formula is just, so x is always going to be what we're solving for. Our EV is just the, like, the either benefit or cost of the decision that we're facing. It's just going to be the, the combination of our win percent and loss percent and the win amount and loss amount. How you determine pot odds is just a decision rule. Yes or no, do you make this call? It's just your, your win percentage uh, of the hand, the chance of you hitting your draw, whether that's greater than the call amount divided by the pot plus two times the call amount, because the bet amount and call amount are the same thing. If, that, if it is greater, then you make the call. If it's less, then you fold. Um, implied odds, which you just went over, it's going to be the bet amount you're facing divided by your chance of winning the hand minus whatever the pot's going to be after you make that call. I think that's it. OK, so these are all the formulas you need to make these decisions. Um, you can generally remember them when you're at the table. I think they're, like, I think they're fairly intuitive. And if not, they seem pretty easy to memorize. Anyway, so let's do a live example of this. This uh, so this hand happened at the World Series of Poker last year when it was ten-handed, which means it was one hand before the the bubble, where you uh, the final table bubble, where they get to how it works in the World Series is they play down to nine and then like they have a break for three months where they build up the final table and they advertise it and they play it live. So this is a situation that was very tense for these guys and an interesting hand happened, which I think is a great example of what we're trying to do. Anyway, so let's watch.
1: Very first year of the World Series in 1970. No final table. Champion determined by a vote of all the players. Johnny Moss was the winner. Under the gun, Martin Jacobson, ace-jack of clubs.
2: Very accomplished tournament player Four World Series final tables.
1: Raise, and The dealer announces raise, but I don't think Martin has the right Excellent. denominations out there. Hold on,
2: hold on, hold on. Hold the, action. hold the action, just call, just call. So they're making it just a call for 300,000. By the way, that was World Series Dealer of the Year Andy Tillman. Frankly, I think the Dealer of the Year thing has gone to his head. He's dealing with a lot more attitude now.
1: One of these players will join the likes of John Hewitt, Jordan Smith, and Don Barton as main event 10th place finishers. Action on William Tonking. Jack nine in the small blind. He wants to play, he limps in. Go. And the big blind, Dan Sindelar checks his option. Three for a bargain. And here is our flop. Seven, eight, 10, two clubs talking with a jack high straight. He checks it to Sindelar, middle pair with a gut shot. And he's reaching for chips,
2: bets a half million. Jacobson with flush and straight draws. If Jacobson raises under the gun as he intended to, Tonking likely would have folded. Instead, they're now on a massive collision course that could define the November 9.
1: Jacobson obviously loves his hand with straight and flush draws. Unfortunately, he's run into Tonking, who flopped a
2: straight. But there is a raise to a million seven fifty. So the two percent hand bets and the second worst hand raises. Lon, this is a game I need to be in. <laughs> A dream scenario for the short stack that still could turn into a nightmare for William Tonking.
1: And Tonking announces all in. Zindelar folds.
0: So let's figure out what's going through his head right now. So here are all of our players. That's our hero with Ace Jack Clubs. It's a little hard to see uh, when they broadcast it on TV, but he was under the gun. He called. Uh, called around, he bet. He raises. He check raises all in, and now Jacobson facing um, a decision here. So uh, clearly, what is he drawing to? Flush. And then, like, if he hits that flush, is he going to win? Probably. And then, what else is he drawing to? Straight. Right. And then, if he hits that nine, he's probably going to win with the straight. Although not all the time because he doesn't have the best straight. If a nine comes, and then. This guy has like uh, Queen King, or sorry, uh, Jack Queen, he's gonna actually lose. So I'm calling, um, so the question is what does he do here? This is what it looks like. Um, so our hero here raises uh, 1750, he re raises 4525 more um, to being all in for 6275. Uh, okay, so he's drawn to a flush and possibly a straight. So how many are out, outs do we have? So you can count like partial outs. You can say, I'm going to win half the time if I get this, just to be conservative. So you can say, all of these clubs are good, because you, you have the best possible flush. And maybe like this nine will work. So let's count it as half a card, like half an out. We'll win half the time if we do that. So we have 10 and a half outs. So our chance of hitting the draw, how many cards do we get to see? Why, why 10 and a half? Why, why 5%? Because you can, you can just say, if we hit this nine, we're, we're going to win half the time. We're probably going to win more than that. But it's a situation where, like, if he has a jack, we, we split. If he has jack-queen, we lose. So I'm not really comfortable calling those complete outs. And in the end, it, you can see it doesn't really matter. But the more conservative move is just saying half the time we'll win with those. And with these nine outs, we're going to win all the time. Like, you could just count them as half outs or you, you can count them as two-thirds outs or something like that. Anyway, so we get to see both cards because he's all in. have a question? This is actually a strict lower bound, right? Because this will always, like, when it's half, assuming that the other person has a jack in the first So So, like, under that condition, it's a half. Under all other conditions, this wins. No, uh, we lose if he has Jack Queen. Yeah, that's right. this is a conservative play. This is like a really good, uh like this is the worst case scenario, Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Like if we if, if this says call, then we're definitely calling. It, it just it's a real pain to like have aggressive estimates and then it says call and you need to wonder whether your estimates are wrong. So this gives us um, a, a more clear example. Anyway, so the correct play is going to be to call here. Um, it's a little bit difficult to see. But we're gonna say that what's in the pot are all the bets that happened before he was re raised. So that's um, the original pot of 1400, that one guy that bet 500 for some reason, and then this, which would be our all in call, which is um, uh, the 6275 times two, because he bet that and we called that. This was a small blind. I don't know if you saw. The the small blind here just called 500 and then folded when. when he bet into him, so that's dead money in the pot. Um, so the total amount is 14,450, and we're facing a bet of 45,25. So 31% of the pot we're contributing. We're 42% to hit our draws, meaning that this is a pretty clear call. And when we do the EV, even with this conserv- conservative um, estimate, um, it says we're making about like one and a half million chips from making this call. So, this should be pretty easy. Um, let's see what happens and let's see if this works.
2: All in. And Talking announces all in. Sindelar folds. Jacobson's got 20 million. This is for 15% of his stack. He's not going anywhere.
1: I call. Martin calls oh, Martin with his draws to win chop. Talking is the one on the hook
0: so sick that you didn't raise. Wow, so sick that you didn't raise and then this this flop comes. Yeah. How's that happen?
2: Pretty brutal to flop the nuts and only be 56%. Talking's got to fade Jacobson's hand, and an entire group of players and railbirds here who want to see him knocked out, so we have our November 9.
1: What a moment. This is probably the right flush draw to fade. Talking has to sweat it. Five of diamonds.
2: Jacobson still looking for that knockout card. Jacobson a lot more relaxed than Talking, understandably. <laughs> if Jacobson hits a club, Talking is gone, and we have our November nine. The river card is a diamond, and so Talking
1: secures the pot. We continue ten handed. Nice time. Thanks. Nice.
2: <laughs> Boo. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, anyway, okay, so, so he won that. The guy, uh, Jacobson, I'm pretty sure ended up winning the World Series that year. Um, okay, so we have a bunch of be carefuls. Do not draw to a hand that may not actually win when you hit it, which means if you're drawing to a flush that's not even that good and may be dominated by another flush, you probably shouldn't count that at all those as full outs. Or like the lower end of a straight is really, really bad. It's really common for people to draw to that and then just go broke because they think they made their hand, but as it turns out, they made the second best hand. Um, In addition, don't draw to a worse made hand than is already possible. So people refer to something called a paired board, which means uh, two cards on the board have the same number. Um, Where that means that four of a kind or full house are possible, So if you're drawing to a a straight or a flush, you might not even win. You might be, like, drawing dead is what it's called. Like, you might be 0% to win that hand. So be careful on drawing on a paired board. In addition, do not assume you get to see both cards. It's really common for players to think that, okay, there are two cards left. He doesn't seem too aggressive. I'll probably get to see both cards for cheap. And then find out that, like, they're, Their assumptions when calling the the flop ended up being really bad and costing them EV. So very rarely does someone check the turn. Like if they bet the, unless the turn is really scary, like you hit your draw obviously, or it looks like you did, no one's going to give you that for free. Um, Another thing to be careful about is don't overestimate how easy it is to extract additional chips. Like it's really really obvious when someone hits a flush draw because. There aren't that many reasons people are going to call a bet on the flop when there are two clubs on it and then um, bet when another club hits on the turn. Like Flushes are really obvious, and everyone is keeping an eye on that. Straights are less obvious because like, a lot of different boards can have a straight on it. Um, so they can't really just assume that you're going to have a straight if there are any like four cards that are near each other by the turn. Um, And sets, like when you have a pocket pair and you hit a third of that pair on the turn, are basically invisible. There's no way they can put you on that. So your implied odds for sets are huge, whereas your implied odds on flush draws are very, very small. Um, In addition, on the other end, if you have a made hand, don't bet so little to give them the odds to to reach their draw. Basically, most of your flop and turn bets should be like two-thirds of the pot just to punish them to, um, if they want to chase their draw. OK, so that's it for implied odds. So let's move on to fold equity. Um, so here's an example. OK, so were you guys following what's going on in that hand? Basically, um, I had position uh, preflop to make this call. Then on the flop, I had an open open and a straight draw. He bets small enough that I should call. Um, Same thing on the turn. I think he checked behind me on the turn. And the river, he checks. Why? Why is he checking the river here? So he's checking because he's worried. Like, he knows I'm drawing to something because I flat called. And look, I could have been drawing to a flush, and he thinks I just hit it. So this is a perfect bluffing opportunity because we are representing, like, we are basically representing a flush. So the question is, How often does this have to work to be a good bet versus just kind of checking behind and losing nothing? Um, With bluffing, like we can, if it's a bad bet, we're just going to lose money most of the time. So we have to figure out what proportion of the time does this have to win to make it worth it, and that's what we're going to be looking at here. And the uh, the the concept that will give us the value of making this bet is called fold equity. So fold equity is the value that you're getting in a hand from the likelihood that the other player is going to fold. So with regard to fold equity, I'm saying your showdown value, which is this uh, acronym here, is zero. Like you you can't win at showdown, which is our situation there. Like if he calls us, we definitely, definitely definitely lost. So the formula for this is, at least the EV formula is just So it's the derivation of the normal EV formula that we always see. It's just the pot times your chance of winning, i.e. his fold percentage, minus the, ch- the chance of losing. And you lose that bet if you lose. Like You're risking the bet to win the pot. If we have the chance to win after he calls, we could add another variable where just instead of us just losing this bet um, for the amount he calls of the time, when he calls, we're going to get some amount of EV, which is still presumably going to be negative. But it's going to be less negative than just losing the entire bet. So that that's the basic formula for, for semi-bluffing here. So I'm defining bluffing is um, a bet where it has positive expectation because the fold equity is more than zero. Like just this term, like just the, the proportion of the pot that you expect to win from him folding is greater than the chance of you lose the, the weighted chance of you losing that bet. That's just going to be called a bluff, an outright bluff. And I differentiate that from semi-bluffing, where this is actually negative, where if you have a 0% chance of winning, it's actually a bad bet because he calls you more times than makes that valuable. But a semi-bluff actually becomes positive expectation because of your showdown win percentage. Your showdown win percentage is, um, Is sufficiently high to offset it. And this is where the value comes from. Because you have the opportunity to steal pots, but you also have the opportunity to redraw to a winning hand. Um, And that's why in tournaments, this becomes something that you're going to be doing very often. Because you're not going to always have made hands, but you're always going to have something that could become a made hand, and that becomes good enough. So how often does this have to work to be profitable? So um, I'm just going to give you a formula here. So we're betting 150 into a pot of 350, where we have no chance of winning if he calls. Our EV, which is just taken from that formula, is 350 times the chance we fold minus 150, our bet, times the chance he calls. So we can solve this for um, EV equals 0 and solve for fold to get this formula. We get 150 divided by the pot plus our bet. So this is our bet, because the idea is that we are putting 150 into that pot for a chance of winning the whole pot back. Like we he won't add that 150 to the pot if we win it. So that's the idea there. So it's our bet divided by the pot after we bet to give us our, our neutral EV fold percentage. So that's the chance, he, that's the chance of him folding that makes us a good bet. So I think this is pretty, like this is pretty cool. Like you can use this to determine what's a good bluff and what's a bad bluff by just saying, is he gonna call this more than one third of the time? And just the EV calculation, looking at um, using this formula to prove that um, we reach a, n- a neutral EV is just 30% times is 350, the pot minus 70%, him calling, times our bet. That equals 0. And that's our quick, I like plugging this back into the EV formula just to make sure we, did, like we, we messed around with the variables properly. So are we, are we OK with this so far? Because we're going to move on to something a little bit more complicated. In this one, he bets 75 like he did before, but we are raising 150. Why? Why are we raising 150 here rather than just calling? Yeah, because we have an open-ended straight draw where even if he calls, we still could win. And that fundamentally changes um, what we need to make this profitable. So here, our chance of winning is 16%, eight times two. We get to see just the river. So it's 150 into a pot of 350, where our win percent is 16. This is still our chance of taking another pot uncontested. And then the 1 minus F percent, the chance that he calls, is multiplied by our, our marginal EV. This 16% times winning the pot, 500 is 150 plus 350. 150 our bet, 350 uh, the pot, minus 150 our bet. I guess the 150 here would be his bet. But still, we have a, we have a chance to win 500 or lose 150. One of the reasons fold equity is really hard to teach is because there's no real intuitive way to memorize this formula. Like, so what I did here is I just solved for um, ev equals 0 um, for our fold percentage. So we can solve this. I, I just plugged this into Wolfram Alpha, and I got like, the neutral fold percentage is 12, um, compared to like here, we need to win this bluff 30% of the time. And here we need to win 12% of the time. That shows the value of the semi-bluff here. So to check with EV, you win 350 12% of the time, and 88% of the time. You have to deal with this. So that, that shows, at, at least intuitively, what the value is. But let's see if we can figure out exactly um, what, like how important this win percentage is. So let's use, OK. So we're going to have to use calculus for this. So when we, um, we graph this formula, we see a clear trend. And like, it would be intuitive. When, you're, when your showdown win percentage goes up, the amount you need him to fold goes down. Like If you win 0% of the time, he needs to fold a lot. But then if you win some amount of the time, he only needs to fold a smaller amount of the time. So that's what this thing is saying. And there are a couple of interesting points on this graph, which I want to point out. So what's this point here? It's, it's, our, it's our break-even uh, fold percentage for having a zero EV. So the idea is if he folds, how you read this is um, if we have a 16% chance of winning, if we're drawing to uh, an open-ended straight for one card, if he folds more than 12% of the time, if we're in anywhere in this area, it's, it's positive EV. And if we're anywhere down here, it's not. So, so that's how we're reading this graph here. So what about this point here? It's a complete bluff because we have 0% chance of winning. And do you recognize this 30? It's from all the way back here. It's when we had a 0% chance of winning. So that's that point up there, which I think is pretty interesting, but it gets even cooler. OK, so that's what that is. It's our 150 divided by 150 plus uh, 350, which is our formula for determining what our break-even fold percentage is for a complete bluff. That's our 30% here. But check this out. So what is this number? It's our pot odds break even. It's the size of the bet that we could call if he was betting to make us neutral EV. That's what this 23 is. It's our 150 divided by the pot after our call. What that means is if he folds 0% of the time, i.e. similarly to if he just bet and then we have the option to call, that makes us zero EV. So this like this graph connects all of those variables for us, and that lets us derive something very interesting with regard to implied odds. We can just figure out how implied odds impacts our fold percentage by looking at this secant line and coming up with a good estimate. So let me work through this graph, uh, talk through what we're seeing here because I think this is really cool. So um, to be clear, this blue line is um, our neutral fold percentage, right? And then this slope is it's the derivative of how much um, of like a bonus we get to fold percentage for every 1% win rate. So for each additional one out, so each additional 2%, he needs to fold 3% less for us to break even there. That's what this is telling you. When you have a 10% chance of winning, you, ha- uh, you, ha- uh, you just reduce um, this amount by 15% you multiply it by the 1 and a half slope. Although it undershoots it by a little bit, like it gives you a very, very close estimate to, to using these implied odds in, uh, in real time. And so I went ahead and figured out, OK, so that's for a specific like, bet size. How does it work if we look at um, for a much bigger bet or a much smaller bet? I found something really interesting. When the bet becomes, when we go towards infinity, the partial derivative is 2. Like, you only get as much of a bonus as two times your win percentage. So, each additional out gives you like an 8% reduced um, break even for fold percentage. And then, when your bet approaches zero, you only get a 1% decrease. So, these are our bounds. Like, um, for a pot size bet, it's one and a half percent your bonus. And um, regardless, you know your bonus is going to be between 1 and 2, at least in terms of the average across um, win percentages. That's what we discovered here. And what this is letting us do is it's letting us create a quick rule that implements implied odds. Um, So to go over what these rules exactly are, um, let's back up to a complete bluff. So our full percent needed is just the bet divided by the pot and the bet combined. If you think, like, if you want to bet the exact size of the pot, which isn't that bad for a bluff, you only need to win half the time. And then you can, if you want, to scale linearly down to zero. You could just say, all right, if I bet half the pot, I have to win 25% of the time. It's a little bit off, it's like 33% of the time, but it's not that bad. So this gives you a very easy way to determine, like, when you should bluff or not. And like obviously, there's a bit of judgment because you got to figure out whether this is a reasonable number. But it gives you an idea. Like you don't need to win that bluff 80% of the time. Um, and then when, like when you actually have a chance to redraw to win, it becomes even more interesting. Um, so in general, when you have a draw, um, you have a higher like you your value is higher because you still have a chance to win the hand. And in general, you're going to see, like, very rarely will people actually make complete bluffs because they will, like, prefer, like, the, the the chance of you winning the hand at the end materially makes your your, your value better. Um, so a simple assumption is just each 1% your showdown increases, you, mul- you, inc- you decrease your fold percentage by 1.5%. And your fold percentage are going to be much, much smaller. They're going to be, like... 15 to 20-ish percent, like somewhere in that range. So decreasing that by 5% actually makes you uh, quite a bit more likely to win, or at least have a a positive expectation decision. And when we talk about preflop, which is going to be nothing but figuring out semi-bluffing opportunities, um, we're going to be heavily using this type of thing. Um, So let's do some uh, examples. Okay, so what is going on here? So just to watch that again. So um, it looks like the villain raised something pre-flop. I had position, so I called, and then he showed weakness for three streets in a row. Like I don't know what he has, but it, it seems to be worth taking a stab at it. So like, what proportion of the time does this stab have to work? to make it a good bluff. So, is this gonna be a bluff or a semi bluff? Bluff, why? Yeah, the, like I barely beat the board. I, I think my 10 high plays, but like only very close. So, if he, like, there's no way he can call this with the worst hand. Um, so, the question is, what, like, how often does this have to work to be valuable? Which is a very common question you might ask yourself. Um, so, do you remember how to figure this out? So the formula is going to be this. It's just the bet divided by the pot plus the bet. So the difference between this and the pot outs formula is one bet. Pot outs formula is pot plus two bets, ours and his. This formula is just the pot plus our bet only, because he never adds his bet in. So to figure out our chance of winning here, let's just go to this one. We just do what? We take the size of our bet and divide it by this plus this number. So we add those together. It's what five uh, six twenty five. So it would just take two fifty divided by six twenty five, which is what? It's forty percent. So this needs to work forty percent of the time to be valuable. So it's actually not as like, not as interesting as I would have guessed. Like this needs to work a pretty big amount of time. And given that he's shown so much weakness, he's probably he's probably guessing that we're probably bluffing. But anyway, if he calls twenty five percent of the time, um, does that make that a good uh, bet or not? Yes, because that means he folds 75% of the time, which is more than our 40. So that makes that a good bet. And just to plug into the EV formula, so what like what is our value from this bluff if if our estimates right here that he calls 25% of the time? It's $200. So the pot's what? I think the pot's like 400 here. So that makes sense to me that like 75% of the time we're going to take down that pot, so it's worth about 200 to us. So that's it. Um, Let's do another example. Okay. So what's going on? Like something happened on the flop, and then what are we doing here? Exactly. So we're betting 450 into a pot of 775. Like, so the question is, um, like, is this a good bet? Like, Should we have done this? And we're going ha- like, to be facing these decisions all throughout the tournament. Um, so this one is going to be kind of complicated, but not really. Let's see what we can piece together for now. So what, like, what's our chance of winning this one at Showdown? So, we have a 16% chance of winning. Yeah, it's hard to like, I, I prefer not counting. You, like, you can proportion partial out to like uh, whatever you think your real chance of winning if you hit that and just say that's worth like one third of an out. But in terms of being conservative and making this simple, we can just say, let's say we have to hit the straight to win. Although, you can consider yourself having a little bit more equity if you just say, maybe I'll win if I hit like a 10 or something. OK, so we're, we're betting 4.50 to this pot of 7.75. So what, um, So we know we have 16% chance of winning this hand uh, if we are called. If we have no percent chance of winning the hand um, if we are called, what proportion of the time do we need him to fold to make this good? 4.50 divided by 12.25. That 12.25 is going to be um, 4.50 plus 7.75. Is that right? What was it bet? Yeah, 450 plus 775 is 1225. Oh, um, um, I think this is um, 11, 12, 25. I think that's right. 1225. OK, so we have a 37% chance of, of um, that's our break even if we have no chance of winning. But then we get a bonus for the 16% chance of, of us winning. And then a general estimate is going to be one and a half times because we're making approximately a pot size bet. We're making it a little bit smaller, so maybe this is overdoing it by a little bit, but this is at least giving us an okay estimate. Like this might be a little low; it might be like eighteen percent, but like we can't differentiate between the like a margin that small. Um, so the sixteen percent chance is related to our chance of winning. We get a bonus as proportional to that. I'm saying one and a half, which is like seem to be like about in the ballpark to give me a thirteen percent chance break even for that fold rate. So even if he calls eighty percent of the time it makes it a good bet. And 80% is a huge amount, considering, um, I don't remember the situation. Like, he could potentially have nothing here. Like, he definitely showed some sort of weakness, so it's totally reasonable that he won't call more than 80% of the time there. Um, So we can calculate our equity just based on the formula earlier, which is our chance of taking the pot down uncontested, 20% and then our 80% chance of winning 16% of the time and losing 84% of the time, where we're winning the pot plus his bet and we're losing our bet. So, okay, so let's jump to uh, another live example.
2: Junior world champion in bowling and horseshoes for Pappas, foosball, and maybe poker. Sorry, what's your name? Mark, you no. Billy,
1: good to meet you. meet you. Mark already played the final table of the <laughs> WSOP. <laughs> I've heard, sorry, I, I have yeah. no idea. Listen, Billy is world champion in another sport. That guy's pretty Man, cool What sport? In game, football. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's pretty awesome as well. Yeah, that is awesome. I'm a world that's champion.
0: Good. This is considered yeah. very high quality yeah. Dancer, yeah. by yeah. <laughs> <to> standard. <understand>. Trip.
1: <laughs> uh, <I> got, <laughs> we got to play sometime. The secrets. Absolutely. <laughs> it's all good, buddy. Jacobson with pocket <laughs> sevens. <a> six fifty. Right? <laughs> 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 Confirming with Sindelar. Oh, yeah, that's six fifty, and that's a raise. Bolotano and Trey suited into the muck. Two Pappas now with
2: ace-queen. I wonder if there are different surfaces in foosball, like the French Open of foosball, the Wimbledon (laughs) of foosball, and is there an ace-queen in foosball?
1: Right? The worst joke ever. There are several brands of championship tables. Billy's a tornado guy, by the way. Tornado.
2: And Billy? With ace-queen, re-raises. re-raises to a million, 425. The main event's a grind, but Billy Pappas says he doesn't get tired here because he's used to foosball tournaments, which are 14 hours a day on your feet for several days.
1: Sorry, be- no. Newhouse messily folds. The ace of hearts is exposed. Ace of hearts
2: exposed. So action now. Back to Jacobson. Jacobson trying to become the first Swede to make the main event final table since Chris Bjorn in 1997. Bjorn tied for sixth all-time in World Series caches. Bjorn and Jacobson, both born in Sweden, both yeah. moved to London.
1: Jacobson made the call. We're heads up. King, Jack, oh, Trey. Yes. Jacobson yes. ahead still with the sevens. Pappas picks up a Broadway draw. Jacobson checks.
0: So let's take a look at what actually happened before we got to where we paused. OK, so this guy's in position. He's, on the, he, he's in the cutoff position. Um, Jacobson... Raises. He repops with Ace Queen in position. Um, Newhouse throws out an Ace for some reason. Um, so Jacobson checks, and then he's going to make this standard bet. So the question is, like, is this a good bet? And then um, something we can definitely figure out is what percentage of the time does this have to be a fold to make this a good bet? If showdown win percentage is zero, it's going to be eighteen hundred divided by the pot plus eighteen hundred his bet, thirty-three percent. But if he actually has a chance of winning, like he has an inside straight draw, he has a, a 10, and then he has the best possible straight, um, he gets that 8% of the time, reducing his win rate by approximately, or his break even fold percentage by approximately 8%. So it's 8 times 1 and a half, 12. Um, so this minus 12 is at 21%. And then this is solving it out exactly. I give him half outs for an ace, like maybe ace wins half the time it turns out that 21% is basically dead on. So let's see what happened.
1: King, Jack, Trey,
2: Jacobson ahead still with the sevens. Pappas picks up a Broadway draw. Jacobson checks. Of course, Bruno Politano trying to become the first Brazilian to make the main event final table. What happened to the Canadians? Our record ten bracelets in 2013? None this year. Persona non grata
1: Canadian. I think they got too cocky. (laughs) And now Pappas comes out with his
2: draw for a million eight Pappas was rather aggressive earlier in the main event, again showing his aggressive side right now.
1: Martin folds. Pappas will drag the pot. Now he sits just shy of $20 a world champ in two different games. It just could very well be. Billy Pappas makes good use of that scary board to take down the pot.
0: Okay, so so that's a very common type of bet, which we'll talk about later. That's called a continuation bet. So we showed aggression pre-flop. It's checked him on the flop. Like it's almost always going to be the right move to bet again on the flop, because you already like you're already indicating that you have a good hand, and then two face cards show up. Like it's reasonably likely that you're going to have at least top pair there, so it's uncommon for the other guy um, to try to push up against you, since like presumably you have at least a pair of kings or jacks most of the time. Oh, let's do some. Be careful about. Um, okay, so. Um, don't, like, th- this is a lot of stuff I noticed from the, the more recent tournaments. So don't bet too little on a bluff. That makes it very obvious, and then it's usually pretty clear. Um, like, if, if you bet one-third of the pot, which is something that's generally not common uh, for, for normal players, it, it kind of screams that you're not too attached to the hand. Like, for, and like a two-thirds of the pot bet only really needs to win a small percentage of time to be profitable. I get that no one likes to lose money on a bluff, but one third bet um, works much less of the time um, than a two thirds, and you actually get much less value out of it. Um, okay, so you bet enough, bet like you had a normal hand, like bet enough that if someone is drawing to something, they don't have the the odds to make that call. Um, alternatively, don't bet too much on the bluff. And like I'm making pretty wide ranges here, so don't think that. Uh, uh, I'm contradicting myself here. The, the, one of the biggest tells for a bluff is someone betting more than the pot just because it, it means they didn't actually think through the numbers and they're just like, I want to bet a lot so that makes the other guy fold. Um, but in general, don't bet too much and by too much I mean uh, more, than the, more than the pot. Um, in addition, if you're short stack, don't bluff an amount that if he raised you have to call anyway. Um, in which case you should just um, you should just uh, bet all in there. Um, so don't be afraid of getting caught bluffing so this is the reason like, people don't bluff live is because they're afraid of showing down nothing like, don't, don't, like, don't worry about that one of the best indications to me of someone being a good player is they'll bluff and show down a bad hand and just be like yep like, that's how you play poker and that'll be the end of it so like, don't worry about like, what you have when you bluff is completely immaterial so just having a losing hand that's really bad is no different than having a marginal lo- losing hand so don't be afraid of being caught bluffing um, especially live. like People get embarrassed when they get caught bluffing. Don't worry about it. Don't, so semi-bluffing is great compared to bluffing, because you have a chance of winning uh, the hand. Um, but if you're in position, sometimes it's better just to take a free card. Like if he shows weakness and checks into you when you have an open-ended straight draw, like in some cases, it's just going to be right to check and get your free card. You have to compare your EV of checking to your EV, your EV of bluffing. And don't bluff calling stations. Because a, like, a lot of your value from these guys will come from value betting, on a lot of like the only way you'll possibly lose to them if you try to bluff them. And like you might uh, be in a situation where you want to like you you're ready to run over calling stations, but you don't have good cards, and bluffing is not the way to go. So don't do that. Um, let's wrap it up there. Thanks everyone.